It's a very lonely looking group, just uh, to my left, if anyone wants to uh, come and fill. The general is there. Good morning, gents. Fantastic to see you all uh, for our final meeting of Burning Man this term. Uh, the good news is we'll be kicking off again in early September. So uh, if you don't already receive my emails, uh, I'm Pat Allerton, involved with um, helping with uh, Burning Man here, uh, then do grab me at the end. Give me your email. I'll pop you on the list so you will never um, be out of the loop again. <laughs> You'll be delighted to hear. So uh, welcome to Burning Man. Uh, thrilled this morning as we come um, to a conclusion of our study in 2 Timothy. Thrilled to have Jago Wynn, the Reverend Jago Wynn, with us this morning. Um, so Jago has just cycled over from Clapham. I'm just going to invite him up, ask him a couple of questions, and then hand straight over to him. So good morning, Jago. Good morning, Pat. Um, excellent to have you. Where have you come from this morning, um, and, and why are you over there? Um, I've come from Clapham. Um, I, am, uh, I work at Holy Trinity Clapham, uh, and I've been there three years. I used to be at HDB as a curate, and then went over to Clapham three years ago, uh, taking a graft of people, particularly to start off an evening service at Holy Trinity Clapham. That was three years ago. And um, I've, a couple of weeks ago, been appointed the next rector of Holy Trinity Clapham, um, which um, yeah, really excited about. Daunted about as well, but really excited. So um, that's where I am for the foreseeable future. Wonderful. With uh, a family, an ever-growing family. It is ever-growing, yes. I'm married to Susanna, and we've got um, three and a half children at the moment. So Daisy's nine, Boaz is eight, uh, Hope is one, and our fourth one is due in October, just to keep things exciting. Fantastic. Well, um, Jay, it's fantastic to have you with us uh, this morning. Thank you for shaping time in your busy diary and coming over with your billowing hair through the, through the air as you cycle. Let's pray for Jago before we make a start. <laughs> Father, thank you, Lord, for your son, Lord, our brother, Jago. Lord, thank you for his many gifts. Um, and this morning, uh, most importantly, Lord, thank you for his love of your word and his passion to communicate it to others, Lord. We pray, Holy Spirit, you'd equip him and you'd speak to us through him and you would come and do a work in our lives and hearts. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pat. And uh, it is lovely to be with you guys um, this morning. Um, thank you so much for having me. And um, it's a real pleasure to be back at Burning Man as well. Um, now, we've been going through 2 Timothy over this term, and we have got uh, to the end of 2 Timothy. So I wonder if you're in your Bibles, you could turn to page 1197 if you've got one of the church Bibles. And um, it's the last section of 2 Timothy. And I thought I'd, I'm going to read the whole of chapter 4, if that's okay. I know you heard, had the first half of it. Uh, last time, um, but the, the, um, we're going to read the whole of chapter 4, first of all. So page 1197, 2 Timothy, chapter 4. Paul writes this. He says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. 
Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metalworker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophima sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you and so do Pudens, Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Uh, now, as I said, it is a real treat uh, to be with you guys. But when, um, when Pat asked me to speak on this bit, he said, can you speak on 2 Timothy 4, uh, verses 9 to 22, title Paul's phone book? And I said, thank you very much, Pat. Thank you so much for giving me the, uh, the rump end of 2 Timothy. And uh, Pat told me off. He said that was no way to speak about God's word, and he's right. Um, this is God's authoritative word. Uh, it is, as we well know from the previous chapter, uh, it's God-breathed, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training us in righteousness, so that like Timothy himself, we, you and I, might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. But you know, actually, this isn't just the, the rump end of 2 Timothy. This is actually also the rump end of all Paul's letters, uh, this being the last letter that Paul ever wrote before he was killed. So we are looking right now, as we look at verses 9 uh, to 22, we are looking at the final written words recorded by Paul. And yes, these, the, these verses might be, if you like, Paul's phone book. Uh, they might be uh, mentioning various people that Paul knew. Uh, but I've actually realized preparing this that they are, if you like, they're far more interesting and relevant to us uh, than a phone book. Uh, they are far more interesting, you know, than if you were to read Pat's phone books or Pat's uh, millions of uh, Facebook friends or Twitter followers or whatever it is. Uh, they're actually far more interesting than that. And here's why. Because when you look at a phone book, it is information for you as an individual. But Paul did not write these verses just for an individual, Timothy, to read. Yes, the letter was primarily addressed to Timothy, but if you just look at the very last verse of the whole letter, if you look down to verse 22... And look at the last uh, verse of all. Paul writes as he concludes, he says, The Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you all. The Lord be with your spirit. In the Greek, that's in the singular, addressed to Timothy as an individual. The Lord be with your spirit, singular. But then, grace be with you. Actually, that you there is in the plural. It's grace be with you all. Grace be with you all. So yes, this is a personal letter. From Paul to Timothy, a young church leader in Ephesus, and yet grace be with you all, all of you. Paul wants not just Timothy, but all Timothy's church back then and all the church today, including you and I, he wants all of us to hear what he's got to say. Because actually this is deeply relevant to you and to me, even this phone book bit, deeply relevant. So I stand here and I repent of my comments about it being the rump end. Um, Now here, here I think is the big message of the whole of 2 Timothy. 
I think Paul is saying what is more important is not so much starting well as a Christian, but finishing well. That's what's more important. It's more important to finish well as a Christian than start well as a Christian. Amongst us here this morning, uh, there will be people who've become uh, Christians recently, perhaps through Alpha, perhaps through Christianity Explored, perhaps through a friend, perhaps through going along to a church on a Sunday, uh, and that is so exciting. If you become a Christian recently, it is so exciting that you have decided to follow Jesus. That is the most important decision you will ever make, a more important decision even than who you're going to marry. But then for others of us, probably more of us, I'm guessing, we actually we've been a Christian for a while. We've been a Christian for a while, but actually, I want to wager that for, for many of us, not all of us, but for many of us, actually, we have got more years ahead of us before we die than there are years behind us since we've already been a Christian. So let's say, um, say this line here represents our lives, okay? And we, um, we're born here, and uh, we die here. Okay, let's take me as an example. I became a Christian at uh, age 17. So let's say uh, that was here. Um, I became a Christian at age 17, and uh, I've now reached the grand old age of 38. Uh, let's say that's there. Uh, and I don't know how long I'm going to live for. I may, you know, I may pop my clogs tomorrow, who knows. But let's just say um, I live to the age of 75, 80. Actually, how long have I been a Christian? Uh, if I do the maths correctly, 20, 21 years. 21 years. But actually, I've got 42 years ahead of me. And what 2 Timothy is saying above all, actually what is more important is not starting well as a Christian, but actually finishing well as a Christian. Finishing well. Being able to say with Paul, verses 6 and 7, if you look at verses 6 and 7, being able to say with him, uh, the time has come for my departure, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. Because that is not a given, being able to say that. It's not a given that you'll be able to say that, and yet it is vitally, vitally important that we can. I think of my, uh, my brother. Uh, he made a profession of faith when he was 15. He started so well. He, uh, there was a real passion for reading his Bible. If you looked at his Bible when he was 17, 18, just full of highlighter, full of underlining. Uh, he'd, he'd been leader on, a young leader on, on Christian camps. Uh, he'd, he'd given talks at those camps. He, he'd been head of his school CU. He'd started well. He had a conversion experience age 15, Threw it all in age 18. It's now 16 years since then. Uh, he is miles away from following Jesus, and it's one of the biggest sadnesses in my life. Or I think of earlier this year, I went and spoke at um, the Cambridge University Christian Union, KICU. And uh, I'd actually been as an undergrad at Cambridge, and, and I, I told the, um, the students then, they actually asked me to speak on this chapter, chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. And I said, 17 years on since leaving university, I can think of lots and lots of people I really looked up to as Christians back at university times, and actually now they weren't following Jesus. So, so sad. And I'm sure each one of us here, we can know people like that. People we looked up to, respected to, uh, respected as Christians, and actually they've given up their faith. Now, why is that? Why is that? Well, I guess because it is tough being a Christian. It's tough living wholeheartedly for Jesus. And for two main reasons. Number one, because of the world we live in. A world in which, as Paul writes in the previous chapter, a world where people are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, obedient, disobedient, uh, and so on. It's an accurate summary of the world back then, but also of the world today. So those pressures of the world make it tough being a Christian. But also it's tough not just because of the world 
we live in, but it's also sometimes tough because of the church, because Christians, we're not much better. So as we go into chapter 4, verse 3, we see the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And, and Paul personally speaks of people like this in his phone book. So if you look down at verse 14, uh, Alexander the Metalworker, verse 14, Alexander the Metalworker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. And I guess all of us this morning will know those kind of influences, both from outside of the church and sometimes from within the church, influences which mean we are tempted to retreat in our faith. We're tempted to be ashamed of Jesus. We're tempted even to give up as a Christian altogether. And over the course of working through to Timothy over these last few months, I hope that you've heard again and again Paul's answer to that problem. Paul's answer to that temptation we all have to give up in our faith, to retreat in our faith, to be ashamed of Jesus. It's very simple. He says the best solution to keeping our faith, the best solution to, to keeping loving Jesus, to, to being close to him all our lives, the best solution is to keep being those people who actually pass the gospel on. Who don't just go, oh, this is a nice message for me. But to be those who with our lives and with our lips, we look to share the good news about Jesus with other people. The solution, uh, Paul says again and again, is for us to be disciple-making disciples. To be disciple-making disciples, not just following Jesus for ourselves, but looking to pass the gospel on to others. Don't keep it to ourselves. But as Paul, as he, as he wraps up his letter... In chapter 4, in some senses, he actually has a slightly different emphasis answering this question. He emphasizes in chapter 4 not so much what we should do to keep going in our faith, not so much what we should do, pass the gospel on, but more what we should believe to keep going in our faith, what we should believe. And the first verse of chapter 4, verse 1, it's really the summary of the whole of chapter 4, and it's the backbone of Paul's answer as to what we need to believe. Just have a look at it, verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. Paul says this, he says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. And we know that this verse, it is a summary of the whole of the rest of the chapter because of all sorts of words and ideas that Paul says in verse 1, which he keeps getting repeated later in the chapter in Paul's phone book. And, and it's such a helpful thing to do this when we're reading the Bible, to actually be looking out for these words, these ideas that are repeated, that are likely to be a main theme of the passage. So it starts, if you look at verse 1, it starts, verse 1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And then look down to verse 17 in the middle of the phone book. Verse 17, Paul says, But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. The same idea about the presence of God with us in the present. He's talking about that idea in verse 1. He's talking about it again in verse 17. Look at how verse 1 continues. He continues, Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. Then look down to verse 8. Verse 8, he says, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the righteous judge. Jesus again described as the judge. It says in verse 1, it continues in view of his appearing. And again, look down to verse 8. He says, not only to me but to all who have longed for his, Jesus's appearing, the second coming. Verse 1 finishes uh, talking about his kingdom. 
Jesus' kingdom. Look down all the way to verse 18, and he says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. And so I hope you can see, if you like, there are two main strands in verse 1 to Paul's answer as how you and I, how we're going to keep going in our faith. And the two strands of first are this. Firstly, number one, our belief in the presence of God in the present. That's the first half of verse 1, the presence of God in the present. And then the second half is our belief in the second half of verse 1 of the judgment of Jesus in the future. It says, Jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. The presence of God in the present, the judgment of Jesus in the future. Those are the two beliefs that we need to hold on to if we're going to keep going in our faith to the end of our lives. Now, as we know, Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So what I want to do is to look at both of those beliefs and look at them, as we look at both of them, think about the challenge of that belief and then the encouragement of that belief, okay? So let's do them in turn. Firstly, the presence of God in the present. Here's the challenge of it. Here's the challenge of the presence of God in the present. Uh, the challenge is this. Everything in this life, we do it in God's presence. God is the primary audience of all we do. When we're at work, when we're on a date, when we're on the tube, when we're with our family, wherever we are, God is there. He is present with us, and God's verdict is the verdict that matters and who we want to be pleased with us. Now, that's how it should be, but it's, it's tough because I want to be liked. I, w- I want other people to be pleased with me. I want my boss to be pleased with me. I want my colleagues to be pleased with me, my parents to be pleased with me, my wife, my girlfriend, hopefully not both at the same time. I want them to be pleased with me. But actually, God is to be my primary audience. So if you take verse 10 in the phone book, uh, take Demas. Demas in verse 10. Uh, If you were to read Colossians, Colossians chapter 4 verse 14, written just a year or so before this letter to Timothy, Demas is mentioned as one of Paul's closest companions. And yet look at what's said about Demas in verse 10. It says, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. You see, why has Demas given up serving Jesus wholeheartedly? Why? Because he loved this world. Because his primary audience, it was no longer God. The presence of God in his life was not what directed his decisions. He was more keen to please others than please God, and so he didn't keep going in his faith. He didn't finish well. That's what happened to Demas, and it's what could happen. It's what may be happening to many of us. Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. And so that, if you like, is the the challenge of the presence of God in the present. But here's the encouragement. Uh, Take a look at verse 17, would you, in the phone book. Verse 17, Paul says, uh, But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. The Lord stood at my side. Now, I take it that Jesus wasn't sort of literally standing at Paul's side. So what does he mean? I assume he must mean the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, who is God's empowering presence. And maybe some of you, at the moment, for all sorts of reasons, maybe you're feeling isolated, maybe you're feeling alone, maybe you're feeling deserted, maybe you're feeling let down. And those are words that you need to hear today. The Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. The Holy Spirit, present with you in the present. God strengthening you right now in the midst of isolation and struggle. 
And yet just notice, notice in the midst of the encouragement, just notice what this strengthening is for. What's this strengthening for? It's not just sort of to give us warm, gooey, fuzzy feelings, but the strengthening is so that we might pass the gospel on. So if you look at how verse 17 continues, he says, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. Why? So that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed. And so I want to say, brothers, when we are feeling down, which we all will at times, when we are struggling, ask God, for by his spirit, ask him to strengthen us, to empower us, to be present with us, but do it not just so you feel better, but so that you can go out and you can speak about Jesus better in your daily life. And if I can continue the encouragement to say that in Paul's case, this strengthening of the spirit was all the more necessary because for Paul, none of his Christian friends were standing at his side. They'd all deserted him. So he particularly needed this strengthening because he was deserted. If you look back at verse 16, just look back one verse. He says, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. You see, he was, he was deserted. Back in verse 10, we read he's deserted by Demas, by Crescens, by Titus. Some of you may be like that. Some of you may be being deserted by lots of supposed Christian friends. But many of you, I'm guessing, actually you're not deserted by your Christian friends. I mean, here we are this morning. We are a whole group of Christian men gathered together to stand at each other's side and strengthen each other. We can be used by God as the Holy Spirit's means of strengthening each other. So if you look at what Paul writes in verse 11 to Timothy, he says, Get Mark, bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Paul wants the support and the strengthening of fellow brothers. And so I want to encourage each of you this morning, and I want to encourage myself to do just that, to not ignore what God has given us in each other. I think it's so easy for us to, to fritter, away, fritter away our time with our Christian brothers. It's easy for us to waste it, even if we're not sort of encouraging each other into sin. Actually, we're not positively strengthening each other in our faith. We're not spurring each other on to love and good deeds. We're not speaking words of, of wisdom and encouragement and wholehearted upbuilding and challenge into our friends' lives. You know, I, I, how many, I wonder how many, how many people here are going to focus, um, the focus church holiday, just out of interest. About half of you. Um, I, d- I wonder, for those of you who are, you know, how are you going to use that time? Are you just going to have a laugh, a few beers, or, you know, go to the sort of out of focus, all great things. But in the midst of that, can I encourage you, once you're amongst lo- lots of Christians for a whole week, don't miss the opportunity to speak God's wisdom into each other's lives. Give permission to others to speak into your life. I, I wonder if you might pray that you might have one significant conversation with a friend each day at Focus. Walk, go for a walk with a Christian brother. Walk alongside, side by side with each other and speak into each other's lives genuinely, honestly, vulnerably, really. Speak God's word into each other's situation. Be used by God to minister to each other, to challenge each other, stop and pray with each other. I want to say there is such a power when we're standing side by side with others and letting God use us to strengthen them and using them to strengthen us. I'm saying don't balls it up by isolating yourself from authentic, real, side-by-side friendships with other men. Uh, As Pat said, I'm in Clapham, Holy Trinity Clapham, famous most of all for William Wilberforce and the Clapham sect. And that group, there was such power there in a group of men and a few women, 
and people doing honest, vulnerable, iron-sharpening iron, Christ-centered community as they worship together at HDC, as they live together, uh, as they pray together, as they were friends together, and as together they brought about the abolition of the slave trade and a revival in belief in Jesus in amongst many, many people. You see, you don't need loads of people in your phone book. You don't need a, a thousand Facebook friends and a thousand Twitter followers. You just need a small group of people who you can stand side by side with, who can genuinely strengthen you in your faith. So how do we keep our faith to the very end? Number one, hold on to our belief in the presence of God in the present. Second one, we've got to hold on to our belief in the judgment of Jesus in the future. The judgment of Jesus in the future. But every person that's ever lived, we will have to face Jesus, our judge. There is a reality of the future judgment day. The person not in relationship with Christ before death to continue to be separated from Christ after death. But even those who are Christians, the Bible says there is a judgment in the sense of an accounting of our actions. So in the phone book bit, uh, verse 14, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. You see, th this judgment of Jesus in the future, it is a challenge and it should spur us to keep going in our faith. Let me give you a couple of quotes from the, from the Clapham sect back then at HDC um, 200 years ago. First, John Venn, who was the rector of Holy Trinity Clapham at the time of the Clapham sect. This is what John Venn, and when he was preaching, if you look at his sermons again and again, he had this uh, phrase that he'd use again and again. He'd, he'd say to his hearers, he, he'd ask them to think about their future audit at the bar of God. Their future audit at the bar of God. Are we ready for it? Our future audit at the bar of God. Then there was a time when William Pitt, the, um, the Prime Minister at the time, once asked um, Henry Thornton, who was a member of Parliament, also a member of the Clapham sect. Uh, Pitt asked Thornton why he'd voted against the Prime Minister in Parliament. And Thornton replied and said this, I said, I voted today so that if my master had come again at that moment, I might have been able to give an account of my stewardship. You see, for both John Venn, the rector, Henry Thornton, the MP, the future judgment of Jesus was the, the challenge, it was the spur that they needed to keep going wholeheartedly, living out their faith in Jesus. Wind the clock on 200 years, we need to hear that same challenge today. We are saved because of Jesus. We're saved by grace. Jesus taking the judgment on himself at the cross instead of us having to face it ourselves. But still, we do give an account to Jesus on that final judgment day of how we've used our life, how we've used our talents, how we've used our gifts, how we've used our education. And I don't know about you, but I want to hear those words from Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. And that really points us to the encouragement of the judgment of Jesus in the future. I mean, I mean, think, of the, think of the London Marathon a few, a few months ago. I've never run it. I don't think I ever will. I don't think I could. Um, but actually... The one time I did moderately consider running it was when I actually sort of went and watched it live and I was actually standing there as all the runners ran past. And it was just amazing, you've probably seen it as well, just to see the, the, the joy on people's faces of being part of something so amazing, even in the grueling agony of it. You know, their elation as they, they cross the finishing line, as they get the finisher's medal, after however many hours it's taken them to run the race. And as I watched that race in the flesh, I thought that is actually something that I would, it would be amazing to be a part of. 
And that is, if you like, the kind of image that Paul is painting back in verses 7 and 8. All the imagery he's using in verses 7 and 8, it's taken the imagery of a long-distance running race. Verse 7, he says, uh, verse 7, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul's saying, he's saying, I've competed well in the race of life. I've finished the race, I've kept going, now there's in store for me this, this laurel, laurel wreath, the crown, the, the athlete's uh, winner's got in rather than a medal. He's saying the judgment of Jesus in the future, it's an encouragement to keep going in our faith running to the end of our lives with Christ there sort of ready to wrap not a silver blanket around us but to wrap his arms around us to congratulate us to give us the joy of being face to face with him if you um where do I put it if you think back to the to the line of our lives uh, that I drew at the start actually of course it's not it's not quite right because of course it doesn't stop here at death it's not i die and then i rot and I am no more. Actually, this line, it keeps going all the way into eternity. That line, it is far, far longer. And trusting in Christ, you and I can know the amazing joy of all this bit. We can know what what Paul says in verse 18. We can know that the Lord will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. And it is as I keep my belief in the judgment of Jesus in the future. As I keep my belief that this line, it keeps going into eternity, that I'll be safely in the heavenly kingdom, that's what helps me to keep my faith in this life right now, whatever happens. And then going back to the first point, it says, as I keep my belief in the presence of God in the present, a belief that actually alongside this line of my life, actually there's another line. Actually, the Lord Jesus present with me. And the Lord Jesus is not just present with me when I'm in heaven with him face to face. Actually, this other line, Jesus, this line is Jesus. This line goes all the way here too. That Jesus, he is present with me in the present by his spirit right now. He is present with me in the highs and the lows, even when other people have deserted me. And that presence of Jesus with me right now, it keeps me going in my faith. Let me finish with a, um, a quote from yet another member of HDC, from William Wilberforce himself. This is what William Wilberforce uh, wrote in his prayer diary when he was in his late 20s. He wrote these words. He said, I resolve to endeavor henceforth to live more for the glory of God and the good of my fellow creatures. To live more by rule as in the presence of him by whom I shall finally be judged. Now, Wilberforce, obviously, is someone who kept his faith in Christ to the end, despite challenge, despite suffering. He fought the good fight. He finished the race. He kept the faith. But just listen again to what he wrote. He says, Wilberforce's focus, he says, it's on the glory of God and the good of my fellow creatures. That's two great focuses to have. Focus in life. Glory of God, the good of my fellow creatures. Now, why... Did he have those two things as his focus? And why was he able to keep them as his focus throughout his entire life? The glory of God and the good of his fellow creatures. Why was he able to keep his focus on those, not retreating, not being ashamed, not giving up on Jesus? How did he manage it? Well, just listen to how he finishes 
that statement. Let me read it again. He says, I resolve endeavor to endeavor henceforth to live more for the glory of God and the good of my fellow creatures, to live more by rule, here it is, as in the presence of him by whom I shall finally be judged. In the presence of him, the presence of God, in the present, right now, by whom I shall finally be judged. The judgment of Jesus in the future. And I want to suggest for us this morning, just like Wilberforce, that those two beliefs, the presence of God in the present, the judgment of Jesus in the future, holding on to them, letting them transform our hearts and our minds and our wills, they are the best thing to hold on to, to enable you, to enable me, to finish well as a Christian. I wonder if many of us this morning, actually we're feeding in our hearts that need, if you like, to pray the prayer that Wilberforce prayed for himself. If you're saying, yeah, those are two great desires to have, to want to live for God's glory and the good of others. To live for them as in the presence of God by whom I shall be judged. And I wonder just in a moment of quiet that you might commit yourself again to the Lord Jesus. Commit yourself to those two goals, living for his glory and the good of others. And Lord Jesus, we say thank you that you are present with us in the present by your spirit. Thank you that whatever we're going through, however we may or may not be isolated, deserted, let down, that in the highs and the lows, you are present with us. And we thank you for that. And Jesus, we thank you for your judgment in the future. We thank you that in you, we don't need to fear it. Knowing that you've paid the price for us. But Lord Jesus, we recognize afresh that you are the righteous judge. And there's that sense that we will give an account of our lives. And Jesus, we pray that by the power of your spirit, your presence with us in the present and your judgment in the future would be front and central in our minds and our hearts. And that those two amazing truths would help us and spur us on. Not just to, to start well in our faith, but to get to the end of our lives, finishing well with you. Lord, may those words of the Apostle Paul be our words. May we be able to say at the end of our lives that we fought the good fight that we finished the race, that we have kept the faith. Amen.
Amen. Thank you so much uh, for listening. I wonder what I'm going to do. Um, I'm just going to write up that quote of uh, Wilberforce, but I'd love you just uh, in, your, in your groups, just, uh, I guess, to discuss, d- do, you, do you believe that you're living in the presence of Jesus by whom you shall be fully, finally judged? Is it making a difference in your life? And how should it be making a difference in your life? Is it making a difference in your life, those two beliefs? And how should it be making a difference in your life? So I'll write it up so you can be reminded of that. Um, and then if you guys discuss that. Gents, just a thought perhaps as we turn to prayer in our groups um, on the back of Jago's uh, yeah, encouragement to us. I remember Rico at the, um, the beginning of this term um, talking about evangelism and practically getting us to pray in our groups for one person each uh, that we might see them come to the Lord and might play a part in that happening. And I think, you know, this is so the heart of Burning Man, not just that we come here and grow in knowledge, but that we apply that and um, we see our own lives change, but also the lives of other men around us. And I think each of us will know those who, if they haven't already drifted from the faith are perhaps in danger of doing so. And what I love um, about Jago's teaching this morning is it's so practical and it equips us with God's word to, to see God's truth, to see what those men, those other people need, that they need to know Jesus with them in the present, that they need to see uh, the coming judgment of G- Jesus in the future. It gives us a tool to go to them with. So just to encourage us as we close um, this last five minutes in prayer, to perhaps think of those people and, and pray together for them by name that they, that they wouldn't fall away. But also to think about, can we play a part in coming alongside them? Um, God using us, taking them for coffee, encouraging them uh, to know Jesus now. And perhaps, you know, where necessary, even warning them. So just a thought as we um, close uh, in prayer. Um, and just to say, in five minutes, when the clock goes eight, do... Uh, make your way out. There's an offering box for any donations towards Burning Man this term on the way out. But thank you guys. God bless and see you soon.